everyone, and welcome to the AFC Podcast. My name is Victoria Fragnito, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jim Galizia. I'm not going to do the joke. Hello. Say hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Just a friendly reminder, you can tune in on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. YouTube is probably the preferred method, because then you can watch the clips that we put on the show, and you can see our amazingly beautiful faces, of course. Uh, we are going to be joined today by Ashton Falter. She's our day player of the day. Uh, she's going to bring a clip for, or a few clips, I suppose, from her performance in short film called Fair Game. Is it a short film or a feature film? I think it's a short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to show off a clip. She's going to talk to us a little bit about that. And we're going to talk about her movie of choice, which was Jane Eyre from 2011. Uh, we're going to save the deep dive into Jane Eyre a little later, but we should mention Jane Eyre has been made into a movie like 20 times. It's not even a joke. It, it gets remade every six years. Like, like Spider-Man doesn't have shit on Jane Eyre. <laughs> Batman doesn't have shit on Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a, it's a classic Jane Eyre, Pride and Prejudice. Um, and you know, it's, it's like Shakespeare adaptations. They happen all the time. You know, film adaptations, whether it's actually like doing the story or setting it in modern day and like, you know, going from Taming of the Shrew to 10 Things I Hate About You. Like it's, it's got to be made over and over and over again because they know there's an audience for it and they know people want to see these things over and over and over again. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not one of those people. I see. I, I do. I don't care when Spider-Man gets remade for the fourth time. You know, uh, I'm not like, oh man, another Batman movie. Like, I I'm ready for it. I'm all for it. So if you're into Jane Eyre and you're into all those types of movies, great. This is another one to add to the list. Uh, I certainly enjoyed this one. I don't know though. When does it become too much? When when you've made the movie too many times. Are you looking for like the one that stands out above the rest or is there like a favorite one? Cause you could have a DVD collection of just Jane Eyre movies and you have a shitload of movies. It's kind of nuts. <laughs> I mean, I, it's, you know, because the story itself is actually pretty timeless. Like the actual story of it. Um, you can, you know, tell that story over and over and over again and have a different point of view on how you're telling it. And that's one of the reasons why you get lit. You know, it's like, um, it's similar to like a Christmas Carol. There are 50 million different iterations of it. That movie gets made every couple of years in a different way. Yeah. Um, There's always a different person who's got to save Christmas and Santa's inconvenienced and he can't do it. So I have <laughs> to be Santa now. Oh my God. My name is Tim Allen. Uh, well, I mean, but I'm, I'm talking about like actual like Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, well, you know, I'm like talking about Christmas movies in general. Those, those are the fun <laughs> I mean, ones. I mean, yes, fair. But oh, I mean, they, they, made a, they made a couple different versions of A Christmas Carol that like not just like the classic, you know, just straightforward ones with like George C. Scott and, and all of those. You know, they made a, a musical version with Kelsey Grammer. That was really, really great. Obviously, Muppet Christmas Carol is the best version ever. But, you know, it's someone always has a point of view that they want to try and and tell with these stories. And, you know, as long as they're not coming out every single year, I think, you know, people don't mind that they get remade time and time again. Yeah. My favorite is the Family Guy 
Kiss Saves Christmas. It's not even a real episode. It's just Peter's hunting down like the VHS for it or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just goes to show like, and, and I mean, Family Guy knocks on everything in pop culture, but remakes time and time again, it, it all depends on people's perspective. If they're coming in with a new way to view the same story, it's going to look different. And I think we've said this in the past, if Steven Spielberg and Christopher Nolan were to both make the same movie, we would get two completely different movies. Uh, if you left two scripts in front of two different directors, they're going to have two different, completely different things, uh, which is really cool. And I think the director is kind of where, I mean, the writer obviously puts the story on paper. The director is in charge of translating that to a visual medium uh, and kind of adapting it for the visual medium. So well, I think every time they do a remake of it, it's, you know, kind of indicative of what society is focused on at the time. You know, so it's, you know, you can always kind of get a glimpse into what life is like at the time that the film is made, even if the film is set in a different time period. You know, because if you look at the Jane Eyre that they made on BB, on like the BBC television network from the 90s, obviously it's a different perspective on the story and they're focused on very different things. The tone of the film is obviously very, very different. So, I mean, you know, it's, if it's a story worth telling, it's going to get retold over and over and over again. Yeah. Like Batman. <laughs> like Batman. <laughs> you get mugged in an alleyway and your mother's pearls get stolen. You can be a superhero. Yeah. That's the moral of the story. <laughs> the moral of Jane Eyre. That's what we got. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling Ashton would disagree with that. <laughs> well, let's find out. Uh, we're going to show a clip from Ashton's short film. What a segue, right? Uh, we're going to show a clip from Ashton's short film, Fair Game. We're going to show all her scenes, and then we're going to bring her on and talk to her about that and talk to her about her perspective on the movie and everything else. Are these the keys to my castle? <laughs> you should not be driving. Don't stop me now. I'm having such a good time. <laughs> Having a ball. <laughs> Do you just want me to drive? <laughs> just give me a call. Well, you would do that for little me? Of course, Audrey. But uh, it's actually getting late, so um, I might just have to stay the night. <laughs> no. What do you mean, no? You keep trying to sleep with me, hard, and I don't wanna. Well, I'm doing you a favor. Can't you do something for me? I am doing something for you. I am giving you a lesson. Just like the posters. No means nothing. You know what, Audrey? Now that I think about it, uh, your place is not on the way home. So you know how to get there, right? You really don't care, do you? Are you not drunk? No! It was a test, you idiot. To see if you could do one nice thing for somebody, but no. You ignore people on the street, you refuse to help your classmates, and you were gonna let me drive home drunk.
I couldn't bring one of these from home without linking it to the public network, so I had to make one out of Earth garbage. Earth garbage? You're really pushing this whole I'm an alien thing, huh? What is it, a fantasy? What is wrong with you? You still think this is a hookup? Well, you do have that mask, which I have to admit is kind of kinky, but... have any last words? Holy. I'm sorry. Don't. Thank you. Okay, that was a clip from Fair Game starring Ashton Falter. So tell us a little bit about that film. How'd you get involved with that? Well, it's kind of funny. Um, my friend from church, I go to New Life Fellowship in Queens. They texted me, he was like, hey, my uh, friend's son just lost his leading lady. Can you audition for this? Um, and so I was like, sure. So I got sent the material and then I just learned it all and just didn't have anyone to read it with. So I just memorized both <laughs> lines and then just did it. Um, and it was the drunk scene. So I had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> were you were you actually drunk when you rehearsed no. it? I, that would, would have been fun though. Like, okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you could have gone the method actor route. That could have been fine. <laughs> yeah. um, do you do usually do film or do you stick more towards theater? Because I know you said you do musical theater and stuff like that. Yeah, this actually was my very first film. So I've grown up doing theater and musical theater my whole entire life. Um, so I just started like two years ago, right when I moved to New York, I started getting to the film scene. Um, it all started with an agent showcase that was for film. And I met a friend named John Ponker and he helped me with the monologue from Birdman. And that's on my acting reel. And that kind of just was a spiral into, I want to learn more. Um, and I, because I've always been very fascinated by cinematography and I only just, I couldn't get enough. So I'm obsessed with period pieces like Jane Eyre, Pride and Prejudice. And I actually went to England because I'm so obsessed with that era and the, the just the beauty. And I went to Bristol Old Vic Theater School and did a three day acting for the camera workshop. Um, and that's why I learned a lot. I just learned just what a dirty shot is, like how to hit your mark, um, just really how to tone it down, which I'm still learning because I'm still, I'm, I've been a theater actor my whole life. So yeah. I'm learning about eyes and make sure that I don't look crazy. And <laughs> I'll tell you eyes what, everywhere. When you said I learned how to hit my mark, I was triggered a little bit because I can't tell you the amount of times I worked on a film set where I put a mark down and it's like bright neon color tape or I have these metal marks that are bright colored and people just run past them. And then the camera guy's like, I can't film you if you're all the way over there, you're in the wrong spot. And it's a huge problem. And it's weird because you want to be natural as an yes. actor and you want to have the most authentic performance. So if somebody, if your cue is to like turn around when someone yells at you and they don't yell at you in time, you don't want to turn around before, but it's like, you got to hit that mark. Yes. It hit the mark or it doesn't make sense. So it's, it's, it's a weird yeah, skill of being authentic while also realizing that none of it's authentic and you have to do things a certain way. Yes. 
we did a fun um, exercise where we were just in this one building and we all had partners where we did our monologues to the different partners. And it would do like the person who's filming, um, he would follow us and then we would hit our mark and then he'd follow someone else and then they'd hit their mark and then they follow someone else. And it was just a very good exercise and just learning like how to be very natural while actually having to make sure that you're hitting it when you need to leave or run off or run on. Very Birdman of it. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've loved a lot of movies do that now where they do the one the one shot that doesn't cut. Mm -hmm. Make sure you hit your marks. And all of those movies are lying to you because they all cut. Almost all of them. Well, uh, not, I, I think Atonement has that, right? Where it's like the whole beach. Atonement. I'd have to see it. But usually they do a thing where they, basically the camera technique is they'll be panning and following. And the shots are really long. But when the shots are like 20 minutes, you're like, no, you didn't film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they would pan past a wall and they would cut there. And then they mm. would the next shot start while they're panning that past a different wall and continue shooting. Because sometimes, especially this movie I just watched, Extraction on Netflix with Chris Hemsworth, it's all mm -hmm. And there's a 25 minute sequence with no cuts where Chris Hemsworth is running through this village, kicking the shit out of people, murdering a bunch of people with a handgun. There's no way that that whole thing is uncut because there's a car chase mm -hmm. and there's all this stuff going on. And while great deals of it are very long shots, you can tell where they kind of pieced it all together to make it look like it's not cut. Yeah. It's Birdman. That's what they did for Birdman as well. Oh, yeah, because it does make it look very continuous. Yeah. I think there's one, I think it's the uh, King Richard. They have like the whole battle scene where you just follow him in the battle. Like it's the, because I mean, I think they choreographed it so that you could keep it. Mm. But yeah, that's really cool. Well, yeah. they did something super similar with 1917 that just came out because the whole movie essentially looks like one continuous shot. Obviously, mm -hmm. they didn't do that. Yeah. But, but it it looks so seamless that you think like it, that they did it in one continuous shot and it's visually very stunning. Mm -hmm. Very beautiful. I mean, yeah. when it's done right, it is something where you are watching it and five minutes into the shot, you're like, oh, this hasn't cut yet. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe they do a cut at one point and you're like, it's so abrupt and it hits you harder because you've been in this moment for such a long time. Yeah. It's very interesting camera technique type of thing. There's another movie called, I think it's called Brooklyn. It's with Dave Bautista. That movie has like seven cuts in the whole movie. And it's, that's another good one to check out. We're giving just a list of great movies for people to check out that have like no cuts in them. <laughs> the editor is like, I don't have to do anything. This is great. That's another thing that I learned a lot about was consistency. Um, that's something I never really like learned about in theater because you do, you know, you do it, you don't have to do it exactly the same, but if you don't lift it up the T or whatever it is, or your arm at the exact same time, every single shot, mm -hmm. it looks terrible it and you can't cut it. So that was really good training as well. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get into acting in the first place? I know you told me that you've been doing musical theater since you were four. Take us yes. back to when you were four. Okay, so imagine a tiny little chubby-cheeked child <laughs> sitting in the auditorium of Bearden High School in Knoxville, Tennessee, and she's watching her three older siblings dance and sing on stage for a high school production of The Music Man. 
Now, I knew all the songs, this little child knew all the songs, because her siblings were listening to it in the car and learning all the songs from like orally. And so I was just sitting and I was really sad and I still remember it, someone came up to me and asked me if I wanted to go up on stage and audition. So I went up on stage and I belted it out louder than everybody else. <laughs> Cause I was too young, I was too young to be on it. But they're like, okay, well she knows, she knows the song and she's not shy. So after that, I got, I got bit by the bug and I haven't stopped since. So you were, you played the music man in that? Uh, I was one of the children, <laughs> yes. That would been funny if I was the music man too. She's so good, we're going to make her the music man. <laughs> Gender roles be damned. Uh, <laughs> so then where did you go from there? So you, you that's where it started. Uh, mm -hmm. What kind of stuff have you done ever since? So I did musical theater um, all throughout just growing up in Tennessee. And I was in a dance company called Go Contemporary Dance Works. Um, and I went away to Interlock and Arts Camp for three summers, which was like the best three summers of my life. Um, and then for college, I did BFA in musical theater. Um, so literally everything I've done is theater until very recently. Um, because I found here in New York, I'm able to create my own work and be able to work more, more if I'm doing film than if I'm doing theater. Um, I just did a musical theater tour, which was really fun. Um, that was just regional. And I did a play, um, from Manhattan Rep, but if I want to do more things consistently, I'm finding that film is the way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And in New York, for sure. That's definitely, mm -hmm. I mean, you can always, the nice thing, I feel like theater is a little more accessible in order to like create your own projects because you, you essentially just need you as a performer. You can perform in a park if you want to, like yeah. you can, maybe not right now, but you, you can perform in a park if you want to. When it comes to like, film projects you need so many people to like make it come to life um mm -hmm. but luckily we're in such a great space where so many people want to do these things mm -hmm. you know so you have a great talent pool um at, at your you know at your fingertips essentially to to create your own projects and bring this stuff to life and it's great that you're not like waiting for someone else to give you permission to do it you're just doing it mm-hmm so uh, right now during coronavirus times and we're all locked up inside, is there anything you're doing right now as an actor to stay creative and just kind of keep the juices flowing? Yes, that's like what's keeping me sane. Um, so I've been taking a dance class every day, like ballet, contemporary, Pilates, and that's been very helpful. Um, and then I've been doing, uh, working on sides with my manager every week and we're really focusing on like acting for camera so that we can record it and then put it up um, online so she can send it out. Um, and then I've also been meeting with my acting partner. Um, I'm in the Kin Shat studio and we've been meeting two times a week and we've been going through different plays and um, sides and just reading it together and trying to just get into it acting wise so that we can still be creative as actors as well. Very cool. That's great. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's really great. Um, so are you, now that you're, you know, in New York and you're planning on doing more TV and film stuff when coronavirus is over, what, what's kind of the game plan? Well, I mean, I'm going to be submitting like crazy. Um, 
And I also want to continue doing theater and I've been starting voice lessons up again. Um, I love my voice teacher, Rick Church. Um, and I just want to be open to everything. Like I'm open to print modeling. I'm open to um, doing like regional theater. Like I want to stay close to the city because my husband and my puppy are here. Um, so I don't want to like move that far if I can. Um, so that's another reason why I'm doing films because you're able to stay more in the same place as well. Um, yeah. Very cool. Well, the city is definitely the place for it. You can branch out and do a number of things. Voice acting, I feel like you can do almost anywhere. It depends on the scale of it. Sometimes they have you do stuff from home, I guess. Is that true? Yeah. You've done more too. I just did um, three different recordings for voiceovers for my manager. So we're trying to get into that because my husband had the, uh, the equipment. And so she's like, oh, well, let's get you into this. I was like, okay. So literally he's trying to be open to anything. Yeah. So I have to ask, um, you, I mean, you said that you love period pieces and everything, mm -hmm. um, which is one of the reasons why you suggested Jane Eyre. Um, what, what kind of draws you to that kind of material? I love the heightened language. Um, Jane Austen, Charlotte Bronte, just they're, I love their strong female characters, um, especially in the time that they're written that was like unheard of. Um, to have women that actually spoke to men the way they did and push the status quo when we're like, I want to marry for love, not for uh, necessarily social gain or um, like just Jane saying like, I have, ha if I had half as much, um, if I was just as beautiful as you it would be half as, it would be hard for you to leave me as it would for me to leave you. And like, I'm not a machine without feelings. Like the, just the message be behind these movies and these novels and these books are what I think makes me love them so much. Cause I, I think they, they, everybody even now can resonate with just feeling the power of equality and wanting the power to be free of gender boundaries and roles. Do you have like a dream role out of that kind of period? <sighs> I mean, Jane would be a complete dream. Um, that would, yeah. And then of course, Elizabeth, I, I want to, I want to be able to like go to different countries and film these beautiful places and ride horseback. Okay. That's the dream. If I can ride horseback in a movie. <laughs> Do you know how to ride horseback already? Well, I grew up in the, like, in Tennessee, so we went horseback riding a lot. Mm. I definitely need a refresher, but I can do it. <laughs> okay. Because I think I would definitely, uh, that would be a skill I would need to learn. If they threw me on a horse right now, I would fall immediately off. <laughs> that would not be easy for me to hop into. <laughs> See, as it definitely makes you sore. I, the man in me is like, hey, you can do it. Just hop on any horse. I've never ridden a horse in my life. So I know immediately I would bust my ass and the thing would trample me. But I'm like, I could totally ride a horse. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> so you've been working in musical theater. You got into voice acting. You've gotten into film. Are there any other mediums you're thinking about or trying to get into? I don't know if there's anything you're trying to do right now because we're all locked up inside, but you have plans for your future? Where, where are you trying to go? My biggest thing right now is to stay sane. Honestly, just keeping, 
like my hopes up at like a a decent level because the hardest part right now is we don't know we don't know when things are going to open up we don't know um what it's going to be like um and so many theaters have already cast for the summer are now moving it for next year so that's a whole year gone um so we're filming this in the last week of may because we might not put this podcast episode out until mid-june or so so mm -hmm. people to be like you know what if we're open mid-june i don't want them to be like oh they're still not open what's up uh but yeah right now we still don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. like we're waiting well even with with theater predictions like they're predicting that theaters won't really come back until like 2021 Mm -hmm. so and a lot of theaters like you know, like Ashton said, have pushed off their season till next year. So those have already been cast. They might have to do a couple of replacements because of, you know, moving the timeline forward and everything. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it's going to be a little rough getting back into it because there won't be that, that many slots available for an already very large casting pool. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's my biggest goal right now is just to stay emotionally, mentally, and physically healthy. And I, at first I was pushing myself so hard, like just to do everything as like, as possible that I could do creatively, but then I started burning out. So I'm trying to find a better balance of like, okay, I let's, I'm going to go walk my dog, you know, and finding a better balance of that. of Like, I don't have to be perfect. Like, it's okay. It's okay to just rest during this time. Cause it is, it's emotionally draining and mentally draining. So yeah. Well, you're definitely keeping up with your acting coach and doing classes, dance classes, things like that. So keep doing those. That, that'll that keep you a little more sane. I've been playing video games nonstop. So I'm <laughs> uh, I actually started play. playing a video game. <laughs> what, what game are you playing? Mario Kart. That's barely a video game, but okay. <laughs> you're talking to two pretty hardcore gamers here, so. <laughs> That's the only video fun, game though. I know to play. You can't deny Mario Kart's fun. You got? Do you have the actual wheel though? No, no. And it's not even Mario Kart. What are you doing? Like? <laughs> I can play with my friend who's in Virginia though. <laughs> That's fun. That's what it's all about: staying connected with people. That's why we're doing this podcast. We want to stay connected with people, even though normally we might meet you at an AFC club meeting or something like that. But right now, this is the this is the way. It's the only way. This is the way. <laughs> How did you find out about the AFC? Um, I went on the Halloween night. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Phil Capadora messaged me to invited me through Instagram. Um, I guess because I put like hashtag a story actor or something. And I went and I created my own bell costume and I got second place. Very <laughs> cool. The what costume party. What costume? It was a bell. Bell, like Beauty and the Beast. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Very yep. cool. We could have watched that movie too. Beauty and the Beast would have been good. Yeah. We haven't watched any cool. uh, cartoon Disney movies yet for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, well, if you would have suggested the uh, live action one that just got made a couple years ago, I would have refused. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm not watching that. <laughs> Why not? It wasn't bad. I didn't hate it. It was terrible. What? It was the worst thing I've ever seen. I watched it on a plane and I regret that decision. You watched it on a plane. That's (laughs) (laughs) because I wouldn't have watched it otherwise because I was already not into the idea. I guess my hope for uh, film 
is that that more things like the greatest showman and la la land will come out because those make me so happy because i love movie musicals and that way i can use I'm extremely excited for in the heights oh really my gosh i cannot wait like there's yeah. they're getting better and better and that's making me really excited lynn manuel miranda can just write whatever he wants and i'm i'm in for it mm-hmm and, you know, one day when they make Hamilton not cost $600 to go see it, I'll go see it. Well, sure. it's not going to be on Disney+. Plus. Yep. What? Yeah. They pushed it up, like, six months or something. It's going to be on Disney+. Plus. They're making a Hamilton movie? No, yeah, they recorded it. It's the Broadway. They it. It, they're not, like, refilming it for, like, a live-action film. They've recorded the Broadway production. Ah. Disney Plus. My free Disney Plus subscription is really paying off. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Mm-hmm. that now. Uh, very cool. So tell us a little bit more, too. You said you already already kind of said that you really love these period pieces. Why, why, cho- why did you choose Jane Eyre over all the other period movies that you could have chosen? Okay, so I love... Um, do this Jane Eyre and not one of the 20 other ones that they already exist. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, because I love the BBC one. Um, that's that one's very, very good, Toby Stevens. Um, this one, I love the way that he the cinematography is. It's just haunting and it's gorgeous. The way that they um the way that they did it. Oh, so the cinematographer is Adriano Goldman, and he actually won an uh Emmy for the crown cinematography. And nominated, sorry. And um, Kerry Fukunaga was the director, and he was uh, actually the first American filmmaker for James Bond to film a James Bond movie that just it's supposed to come out this year. Um, I love the, the gothicness to it because usually, I guess, when you see you know Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, you see very like woo, litty and fluffy stuff, but this it's very dirty and gritty and you there's there's lots of like um not there's violence in it there's um betrayal there's all these things that you would you can easily kind of brush away but they really dove into it and they don't let you look away yeah i will say i was very depressed watching the whole movie (laughs) in that it made me feel depressed which is a good thing that the movie can make you feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yes. But there's hope in it, too. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually. She goes through a lot. She goes through a lot. Yeah, That's she did not have a, an easy life there for Jane. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. She did not. But I love how she never gives up her faith. She never stops believing in her own worth. Like, she could easily have stayed and just been his mistress but she chose to literally run away, leaving everything just so that she could keep her dignity. Just like, to me, like, power! Yeah, (laughs) I feel you on that one. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for suggesting that film that's very different than any of of the other films that we've we've gone through so far. We've run the gamut and that was an interesting suggestion. I actually, even though been around theater for a long time, never seen any adaptation of any Jane Austen and like Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, 
never seen it, read it, nothing. So this was brand new for me. Wow. Well, I mean, I hope I whet your appetites. They're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to include all of uh, your Instagram information, your website information, so people can uh, learn a little more about you. And thank you for joining us on the AFC podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Ashton. Thank you to Ashton Falter for joining us on the AFC podcast today, for telling us about her journey as a theater actor, kind of making her way into the film business and that whole new realm, and for sharing with us uh, one of her favorite films, Jane Eyre, specifically the 2011 version of Jane Eyre. Yes. Um, and like I had said to her before, I had never actually seen any of these films, any, any, I wasn't familiar really with like the Bronte sisters or Jane Austen and, and their writings before, even though these stories get told a lot, not just in film, but in theaters. And uh, this was brand new for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, starring Alice in Wonderland and Magneto uh, <laughs> was, it was a little weird because that's all I know her from uh, the main actress who plays Jane. Uh, that's all I've recognized her from is she's Alice in Wonderland in the Tim Burton version. Uh, and I think that's it. I couldn't really uh, put a, I feel like there's something else that I'm forgetting, but I've seen her in other things. And then everybody knows Michael Fassbender. Uh, I actually met Jamie Bell, who plays uh, John Rivers at one point. Uh, I met him on the Fantastic Four when, when they did like the premiere in New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to interview him and I spoke to him for quite a while because there was no one there. Nobody wanted to see that movie, uh, which was kind of funny. Uh, I also met Michael B. Jordan that day and spoke to him for a while. Uh, that was really cool. But it was funny at this premiere, nobody wanted to be there. And Miles Teller, who plays Mr. Fantastic, showed up, sunglasses on, hat on, ran through the red carpet and then left. Because I guess he had a legal obligation to do it and so did uh, uh what's her name mrs fantastic the actress i forget her name the oh. kate mara thank she, you i was gonna say zoe from house of cards but that's not her name <laughs> <laughs> the girl that got thrown into a front of a train spoiler alert in house of cards if you haven't seen that by now watch house of cards come on yeah, spoiler alerts should have like expiration dates like sorry <laughs> honestly like you get for smaller stuff, like series, I guess, you get a couple months at least. For a movie, like, get to it. Go see it. If it's, if it's like, a huge movie, yeah. I'm sorry if a month and a half, two months later, I want to talk about it. You know? I don't have to cover my mouth. And, oh, I'm so sorry. I ruined it for you. Go see it. <laughs> spoiler alert. Jane, I'm not even going to do, we're not going to do spoiler alerts for Jane Eyre at all because story's been told like 20 something times i'm actually really curious as to how many times they've made a jane Eyre movie but it's it's over 20 and that's that's insane it's a lot this version um is a very haunting version of it they definitely uh took some liberties with the retelling of it because you know ashton is right usually you know with uh uh period pieces that are set in this time period, they usually are, you know, light and a little fluffy, even if they do deal with some heavy stuff, you know, it's, it's a lot of, uh, you know, just, you know, proper and very prim and poised and keeping everything here. This film, 
was actually pretty dark. At one point, um, I was watching it with Nick, and he was like, is this a horror movie? Because <laughs> of the way that it, it's presented. It's, it's filmed like a horror movie almost. Mm-hmm. And they even at one point do, like, there's a dark-haired woman with pale skin walking the halls. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really creepy the way that they filmed it. And it gives it this really dark tone. And the truth is, she had a terrible life. Her parents died, and she was given to her aunt. Is that her aunt? Yep. Uh, and then her aunt basically says, I don't want her, and throws her in an orphanage. or ba- Not an orphanage. It was like a school for girls to learn how yeah. to be, you know, le- learn how to close your mouth and be a good wife. And <laughs> that's, that's basically what that school was. A bunch of nuns just beat the crap out of her with sticks all day. So she had a terrible... They weren't nuns, but yeah. <laughs> that's just what I saw. And <laughs> they maybe weren't nuns, but that's what I imagined is any school like that. It's just a nun with a ruler smacking you on the back of the neck. Uh, and then they basically said on her, like, her first day or, like, she first got there, they were like, no one be friends with her. Yep. And that was it. And then she made one friend, the only friend she could have... And then the friend died of tuberculosis. Mm -hmm. I have to say, (laughs) I mean, definitely, like, she didn't have a good life. She went through all of that. She ends up falling in love with, uh, she becomes a governess at at, uh, at Thornfield Hall and um, for Michael Fassbender's ward. Michael Fassbender, uh, she ends up falling in love with his character. Um, but then we find out the whole time that he was actually married. His wife, uh, his first wife was insane. She lost her mind. And instead of giving her to an insane asylum, he kept her in the house and she has tried to burn the house down. She tried to kill one of his visitors there. Um, it's pretty bad. Visitors too. It should be said that was her like brother. Brother. It was her brother. Yeah. She stabbed uh, her brother, like, twice. So, so on Jane Eyre's wedding day to this man, she finds out that he's married to someone else. She ends up running away. Um, you find out that she actually uh, gets a wealthy inheritance from a distant relative who her aunt said she was dead. And, it, you know, it's all this tragic stuff. Uh, by the end, she ends up, you know, going back because she finds out like the house burned down thornfield hall burned down because the crazy wife burned it down and michael fassbender saved everybody except for the wife he tried but she ended up killing herself in the fire and he went blind from it so at the end of the movie they come back together again but i have to say i i like the initial i like the story of jane Eyre. i think it's you know it's it's heart-wrenching. It tells the story of this woman who overcomes a lot, especially in the time period. I do appreciate, you know, the feminist aspect of it and, and how much she stands up for herself and she does what she thinks is right, even if it hurts. Um, this film was so slow and there were parts of it that I feel like it wasn't connected. I feel like if they were going to tell the film this way in this like haunting, sprawling manner, that they probably would have done better to tell it as a mini series instead of as a film because it was so slow and quiet 
and you got to the point where I completely forgot about the friend that died, but that was a huge moment for her. But you never see that ever, ever again. You forget. That's, that's maybe the first 45 minutes of the movie that takes us all the way to there. It's that yeah. slow. And by the time it eventually starts picking up, it's still so slow. It's a two hour movie. And if I could say anything, I would have said, you know, just show us a couple flashbacks to when she was a kid. And it should be said too, that this movie does have a lot of flashbacks. Yeah, it jumps timeline a lot. Or shorter flashbacks, you know? But it really I mean, helps paint a picture, I guess, of how dreary and sad and slow this woman's life is. And I guess they kind of had to do that because they were like, they'd show up to the, when she showed up to Thornfield and was like, I'm going to work here now. The, I, what, what's the actress's name? Judy Dench, right? Mm -hmm. Judy Dench is there and she's kind of the person who runs the house. And she's just like, oh yeah, sometimes Michael Fassbender, he leaves and he doesn't come back for like three months. And she's like, oh, so we're just going to sit here and pretend he's here every day? Yeah. He was set up as if he's walking in the front door today. And they just, you know, live this weirdly nonsense life of just redoing this guy's house. Mm -hmm. I want to know what he did for a living. Did they say? Uh, I don't, I don't know if they actually did um, say what he did for a living. Uh, I think, I mean, the, the acting performances were, were great. They were solid. Um, I think this, the film just wasn't connected. You know, I, I didn't see how any of this stuff really affected her. It was super quiet. I didn't understand why they, they seemed to, they went like from handheld camera very rarely to, you know, beautiful wide shots that I assume was, you know, with uh, like big crane, you know, to get these sprawling images of the, you know, the fields and, and the, the atmosphere of everything. But then sometimes when she was by herself, they would use like handheld camera. And it, I, it felt really strange to me why they were flipping back and forth between the two um, so much. But I, I don't know. I like this story. I think the story of it is, it was very interesting. And I would be very interested to actually see other versions of this and maybe actually see Pride and Prejudice for the first time ever because I've never seen it. But I just think that this, this particular film was a little too disconnected for me because I, it's just hard to imagine that like her friend dies when she's a kid and then you never see that. Like there's nothing connected to that for the rest of the film. Yeah. If, if anything, it just goes to shape Jane Eyre and her character and show how shitty her life has been up until this point. And it's almost like, they, they kind of create this fairy tale where this rich man shows up and sweeps her off her feet and it's her boss and, oh, that's a little weird, but, you know, he really means it. He really loves her and they get married. And then they take that fairy tale and they chop its legs off at the altar and say, psych, he's already married. You can't yeah. marry him. It's illegal. And then she, instead of staying around and trying to figure it out, she's like, nah, I'm going to leave. And that's when she leaves. And then she, I found the relationship with the new group, with the new, uh, basically she says, these are my new, this is my new family. These are my sisters. This guy's my brother. That's when Jamie Bell comes into the picture. And it, it's weird because we do bounce back and forth throughout the movie. It kind of time jumps back and forth to show us things happening from different times. Mm -hmm. 
Jamie Bell, his character eventually is like, you know, you want to marry me? <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> Basically, yeah. tells him no. Like, she's not just looking for a husband. She's not just trying to live the cliche life. She wants to get married because she's in love. And I honestly, I didn't feel like she and Michael Fassbender had that much connection where it was like, oh, they have so much chemistry. I wasn't getting that vibe. I got the vibe that he really liked her and she like wasn't that into it. So I don't I, know if that kind of ruined it for me. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I also, the storytelling for me wasn't very clear as to why they were so interested and connected with each other. They had, I mean, and maybe that's just, you know, a staple of that time period. You know, they sat with each other and like she gave him like an answer that he didn't expect. And all of a sudden it's like, well, now he's in love with her. What? Yeah. <laughs> that's all it took and it's kind of crazy too because then it was like oh then he leaves and he's gone for you know prolonged periods of time it's crazy that back in the day people would just get married like that like they'd meet each other five minutes go by and they're like all right well you seem like a stable human being let's get married and i guess that's what well, michael Sander did in the first place his character uh mr yeah Brock i mean Parker, yeah he flat out says that he flat out says that his father wanted him to marry his first wife because of the money. Um, it was going to set him up. And then when the whole, during the whole film, when he's courting another woman, even though he's clearly in love with Jane, um, it's the same thing. It's like a status thing. She doesn't have money actually though. Cause Judy Dench's Judy Dench's character comments on the fact that like he would have married this other woman years ago, but she doesn't have, any money not any money but she's still a society person but it he's not going to gain anything from it besides just a wife um so that i woman who came to visit with her family and all that yes okay yeah because i mean he married the first wife because that's a ton of money so maybe that's what he does you know he doesn't have a job necessarily i'm sure he does or he tries to do stuff but he's wealthy he's got tons of money mm -hmm. uh I found the, it was funny to me, the two, the money conversion stuff, because I'm trying to imagine this girl, you know, Jane had been working in the house for months at this point, like, you know, teaching the young girl all the stuff, just how to be uh, the duties of a governess, whatever that they may be. Mm -hmm. uh, and she'd been working there for months and he was like, okay, well, that's 30 pounds. And which is equivalent of like saying like, well, here's 40 bucks. Like, here you go. Thanks for your months of work. But it translates to like, you know, 20 grand or something today. Yeah, I mean, when I looked it up, when she, um, at the end of the film, when she's living with her new family um, and um, she gets noticed that uh, she's received an inheritance from her only living, or now no longer living relative, um, the fortune is 20,000 pounds, which uh, I looked at the, uh, Wikipedia gives you the the conversion to what that would equal today. That would equal one million eight hundred thousand pounds today. Yeah. So she inherited a crap ton, but you know, twenty thousand dollars doesn't <laughs> sound like. What's a pound? Huh? A dollar is a pound and a dollar very similar. A pound is higher than a dollar. Right. Because America sucks. <laughs> Just cool. kidding. Well, thanks, Victoria, for your opinions on America. <laughs> uh, 
No, but I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, even if we just say it's like $1.8 million, even today, that's not like, fuck you money. That's, that's still a lot of money and I'll take it for sure. But you buy a house, you fix up the house real nice, you pay off your bills and then you're stuck. And then and it's like, you still need to work, I think, honestly. Uh, it's not like your grandkids are set. But coming from a situation where she was kicked around because she's got no parents and she's got no money and she's this weird sort of orphaned out, you know, basically bottom, she has no money. Uh, going from zero to having 1.8 million, it's like hitting the lottery, which is kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, lucky her that all these things that happened to her too, it's like how bad her life is, putting her down constantly. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, here's a shitload of money and this dream guy, it's still going to come along with all these bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, the wife being locked up in the house was really creepy. Basically, yeah. it was the girl from the ring and she just liked to light fires all the time. Yeah. Uh, I was, I, I, I don't know, did, is there a thing, like, if, if your house is on fire and you're asleep, will you just sleep through it? I feel like I would wake up coughing or something. Because my friend, he just didn't wake up. She had well, to, like, I, don't, I don't know if, uh, it depends, you know, if you sleep through it or not, but I, I think some people might, he might have slept till it was too late. Right, and then all you know the I mean? house is burned down. Uh, I, you know, that, that was one thing that struck me where Jane shook him and he didn't wake up yet. I was like, smack him in the face or something. What the fuck? Why isn't he waking up? I thought he was like dead already or something, uh, for like one second. And then he got up, uh, you know, just the whole movie too. It was cryptic and weird. And because I'd never seen any other Jane Eyre movie, Mm -hmm. it was all a surprise to me. I didn't expect any of it. Uh, they took this very dark tone with everything. I'm guessing yeah. previous iterations of Jane Eyre, they were much lighter, which I can't imagine how now. How do you take that so lightly? Um, you know, a girl whose best friend dies in an orphanage, and then you're basically trotted around because nobody wants you until you yeah. really work for a guy who love, falls in love with you and you win the lottery. Like, the end sounds great, <laughs> but even when she got what she wanted, she got all this money, and she got a family that cares about her between her sisters and her new brother, uh, and this dream husband. Even through all that, the house had to burn down, and the guy went blind, and, you know, I'm sure it wasn't exactly easy to live with the person. Uh, did Because she, she doesn't keep living with the sisters and the brother then, right? When she calls no, them. she goes. No, she goes back to, she goes back to, uh, um, Michael Fassbender and his his character. I think his name was Rochester. Um, yeah. In that, but um, yeah, she goes back to him after she, you know, and now that the wife is dead, even though she died tragically, like he's free to marry her now with no strings attached. Um, you know, I. I, I find it very interesting that like it 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 got a lot of accolades um, when it came out, and one of the funny things I I heard about it was people saying it was so energetically directed by uh, Carrie Fukunaga 
I think that's how you pronounce um, Carrie's last name. But I, I really didn't find the whole thing to be energetic. I found it to be very slow. I found it to be, and, and to me, a lot of the times it felt like it was, you know, trying to be artsy for the sake of being artsy, you know, trying to be smart, trying to, you know, be like, oh, look, we're artists when we make this kind of like, and I don't know, maybe, credit, maybe it's credit just to the, Credit to the costume designers, credit to the yeah. people who did production design for it. Cause I, I, I totally believed that it was like the 1850s or 1860s, whenever it takes place. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I think it's visually stunning. It was a very visually beautiful film The you know, the cinematography was beautiful that, you know, everything, it was beautiful. It was just the storytelling was so slow that I didn't care. Yeah. It's tough because one, one thing distracts so strongly from every, all the other really good elements in the movie, it can really bring it down. And I mean, the story is one thing that should stand above the rest pretty much always. Um, I don't know. I mean, the same, I felt the same way. I was trying to appreciate the things about it. I'm just not a romantic comedy or romantic drama type of person. And that's what this movie is. It's a very dramatic, romantic movie. I didn't see the romance. That's, I think that's what I missed. I was just like thinking, wow, this woman's life sucks. And I thought it was just a movie about this woman's life who it just sucked. And <laughs> that's what I was getting the vibe of this whole movie. Cause I have no context. I'd never read Jane Eyre. I'd never heard the story of it. So all I knew was going straight into it, what the title was. That's all I knew. Uh, and that it was about her. So yeah, I mean, it was tough. It was a tough watch. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, I feel like Ashton's, Ashton's listening to this now that <laughs> when it's released and she's going to be like, why, how could you guys not like it? Because <laughs> she loved it so much. I mean, honestly, if you're into the period piece type of movies and movies, anything with, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's a great movie for you. Totally not like the tea. I'm a huge I mean, nerd, you know. I mean, I love period pieces. I do. Um, you can't be a Shakespeare nerd and not love period pieces, but I, I didn't, I didn't, I loved the story. I just didn't care for this particular telling of it. I, I would be very interested to see other versions of it. I'm sure Jane Eyre is not the lightest, fluffiest, you know, uh, you know, period piece ever based on just the story and how hard her life is. But I, I think that there's a, a version out there that I, I can, I would like and appreciate more than I think I did this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no context to even relate it. I'm not even a big Shakespeare buff like you are. So I, just, I was totally coming at it from an outsider perspective and totally not my cup of tea. But I did appreciate the things of it that, I, you know, when you said it was like almost like a horror movie, I was kind of like, yeah, I would watch this if it was a horror movie. That would be really creepy and cool. Like The Woman in the House. It should be called The Woman in the House. And it's Jane falling in love with this guy who has a secret wife who lives in the walls of the house. She's they like could have the whole retelling from, from the wife's perspective. Right. Just everything is shot through cracks in the walls. <laughs> yeah. Looking at Jane and, and Rochester having time of their lives. Just pulling up a knife slowly. Um, yeah, there we go. Jane Eyre. Just Jane Eyre, my next victim. <laughs> coming to you soon 
yeah, all in all, it wasn't a bad movie in any way, I don't think. I think it suffered from a couple of different things because it was so long yeah. and the story was so dragged out. And I think they could have really cut it back to like an hour and a half for sure. Yeah. Uh, but still well made, still shot very well. Production design, costume design is really great. Uh, definitely worth a watch. If you guys are interested, check it out. Thank you for watching and tuning into the AFC podcast. You can comment, like, subscribe for all the future content, which will be available on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. You'll be able to watch this on YouTube as well. Yes. And thank you to our day player, Ashton Balter, for coming on and showing us a clip from Fair Game, her short film, and for her movie suggestion of Jane Eyre from 2011. I'm Jim Galizia. And I'm Victoria Fragnito. We'll catch you guys next time.